The Guardian. As a mum, I've got my hands full with three kids, which is a little more than the average in the UK, but it's far less than in Uganda, at 6.7 children per woman. Sometimes it seems that the number of kids you have is blamed for everything from poverty to climate change to rising crime. But the global picture is uneven. In the West, populations are shrinking and ageing, whereas in the South, they're growing fast. Both present big challenges. Soon the world's population will reach 7 billion. But does more people necessarily mean more problems? Or can population growth be positive? In this week's Guardian Focus podcast, we'll look at the implications of population growth for people and the planet. And we'll ask the difficult human rights questions that come with trying to control the size of families around the world. But first, let's hear from a family we interviewed living outside Kampala in Uganda. Ali Sakito and his wife Grace have nine children. We wanted to find out why they'd had a large family and how they benefit. Grace remembers what she was told as a girl. They told me, when you be a woman, you have to be... You have to give birth when you are led. It is in nature. It, it is normal here. It is normal here in Uganda. It is normal. It is common. They can look after her and, until they reach maybe for university and they get employed and be, and be employed in, in, in government sector, even in non-government organizations. It is common here in Africa or in Uganda. They have to look after their old parents after they have, have learned. Joining me in the studio to discuss these issues is Claire Melamed, Head of Growth and Equity Programme at the Overseas Development Institute, and Roger Martin, Chair of the Population Matters Think Tank. Claire, we got a glimpse there of the benefits of having a large family, someone to look after you when you're old. What other reasons might there be? I think that that clip encapsulated quite well what the reasons are. People have children partly as an insurance policy in countries where there's no old age pension, where there's no guarantee that the state is going to look after you at any point in your life. Having a large number of children means that there's more people around who are likely to support you when you get old and ill. Um, a large family also acts as a labour force. If you're a farming family, more more bodies is more people to work in the fields. Um, and also, I think, tragically, a large if the more children you have, the more likely it is that a good number of them will survive to adulthood in countries where healthcare is poor and where infant mortality is high. So where are we talking in the world about rapid population growth? What are the sort of hot spots? Well, this is largely now a problem which is confined to a actually shrinking number of African countries. In the world as a whole, the global rate of population increase is coming down. In 1960, the average woman in the world had more than five children. Now the average woman has about three children. So globally, this is a problem which is declining of its own accord. There are, even in African countries, the population rate, that the rate of increase of population is also coming down in almost every country. Um, so it's a problem that to some extent is going away by itself. But I think for individual families and individual women, the dilemmas and the pro- you know and in some cases the problems of having large families are still real but i think you have to separate out what's a poverty and environmental problem and what's a problem for individual women they can look very different roger well, how do you see the implications of some of this population growth well it's an axiomatic uh, that every additional person increases impact on the planet very much more if they're a rich person than a poor person but they all do 
and the perfect storm that the chief scientist spoke about last year of population growth, climate change, and peak oil leading to food, water, and energy insecurity is a very real threat, and we can see signs of it all over the world already with rising energy prices, with a famine in East Africa, and of course with the numbers rising by 10,000 per hour, a quarter of a million per day, 80 million a year. It's actual numbers of people that need the food, the water, and the energy, not percentage rates of growth. So it's a driver, a multiplier of every other environmental and developmental problem that we face, and we want it seen in that perspective. Claire, what would your response be to, to that? From a development perspective, is population growth a big the biggest challenge. I think we have to separate. I think we have to separate out the different parts of the issue. If it's the environment that you worry about, then really the problem is caused by the populations of rich countries and by very high rates of consumption of energy, of food, and so on. So if it's the environment you're worried about, then population growth in Africa really is quite irrelevant. Now, it's possible, clearly, and we all hope that the population of Africa will start to consume more. But really, I think if you're worried about the environment, let's tackle the problem as it looks now. In theory, hypothetically, in the future, those people may start to consume more. But by that point, you know, technology will be different, etc, etc. So I think if you're worried about the environment, focus on population here. If you're worried about development, then I think, again, you know, first of all, population is coming down. Secondly, even with the high rates of population growth that we have seen, we've made enormous strides in health, in education, in income. So population growth is not preventing development, far from it. In some cases, high population, large numbers of young people can be a real boost to growth. You know, they raise productivity if they, get, if they manage to get jobs or grow their own businesses and so on. They can be a real boost to growth. So I think it's really important to get this problem into perspective. There's a huge amount of hype out there. What about in certain specific areas of Africa? For example, Uganda, there's very high population growth. Uh, and that puts a lot of pressure on a local environment, not the, the big issue of you know, peak oil and so forth, but local environments which can get very degraded, deforestation, etc. That is a possibility. I mean, I think, again, one has to keep it in perspective. The poorest countries tend to have the lowest population densities overall. So I think, you know, there's no easy correlation between poverty and a high amount of people per land, for example. Generally, development is associated with urbanisation and with actually an increase in the population density. So I think, again, there's no easy correlation. There are particular places where a high population pressure is undoubtedly causing local-level environmental stress, and that's a problem. Now, traditionally, the way that people have coped with that is to move, is to move to cities. There's no reason to think, there's no particular reason why the situation, for example, in Uganda is so unique that that won't happen there. And that's generally been a very positive thing for development. Let's hear from our Ugandan family again. Is having a large family a strain? I got a problem from school fees, feeding, medical care. Food is very small. Now, already I have already nine, so that is, that is the maximum I can be with, with that one. Being with a very big number, you, you can't rest. Though they are alive, and I live with them, I'm happy when they are, they are playing in the courtyard, but being with a big number, it is too costly. So that, that clip really illustrates how poor families struggle to provide for all their children and quality of life, healthcare, education can suffer as a result. What are some of the strategies that can be put in place to try and bring population growth down? 
First of all, every woman should have a right to free, good quality reproductive health care, including family planning. So every woman should have a right to control her own fertility. There's an enormous amount of anxiety about coercive contraception, of which there is none in the world apart from China and some abuses in India 30 years ago. So that's a past issue. The real coercion is the coercive pregnancies happening thousands of times a day when women do not have access to the services and cannot control their fertility. Every woman trying to feed a family on a dollar a day, like the lady in the clip, knows perfectly well that she'd, they'd be better fed if there were four of them round the table rather than ten. So you talk about a right, but surely there's a really kind of practical issue here about funding. Who should be funding and how do you get the, the kind of prioritisation of, of family planning services? Exactly so. That, the priority is the key thing because rapid population growth affects every single government department, finance, planning, agriculture, energy, industry, environment, the lot, defense, security. The implications of the explosive population growth in some countries does give rise to civil disorder and conflict. So the solution is to raise the profile of the issue, which is at the moment derisory. Total World Aid for Family Planning, which is the solution to the problem, is currently precisely 10% of the Goldman Sachs bonus pot. It's as pathetic as that. EU aid for family planning is 0.4% of total EU aid, even though the other 99.6 are going to be overwhelmed, running to stand still the whole time, running up the down escalator, if numbers keep growing at current rates. So raising the profile and the priority, showing that a stable population is a necessary, but of course not sufficient, condition for a sustainable society, a stable population, is very important. And the mainstream movements, for the most part, and including, I have to say, The Guardian, aren't doing it. And I quite agree with uh, Claire that, of course, we need to stabilize and then reduce our own numbers too. This is not just a third world issue. Third primary aim of population matters is, frankly, to get our politicians to recognize that our island is severely overcrowded. And we need, as the 1973 panel said, to get a grip on that and in purely not voluntary and non-coercive means stabilize. Claire, do you agree that there needs to be more priority put on this issue? Should donors be putting more money into family planning? I think they should from a women's rights perspective. I think it's absolutely essential for individual women to be able to lead the lives that they want to live, that they should be able to choose how many children that they have. I have two children. I love them dearly. I'm very glad not to have nine. Um, and I think, so I think from a women's rights point of view, which is an essential component of development, which is you know part of what we're all aiming for here, access to contraception is absolutely essential. I don't think that that is by any means the only thing that's important, though, in terms of bringing populations down or of improving women's rights. I mean, I think population have the, the rate of population growth has slowed down partly when women have access to contraception, but also is very much associated with um, increases in women's education, increases in women going out to work and so on. So I think it's a it's a package, which is a package about bringing women more into society, empowering in the jargon women, of which access to contraception is one part. But should the donors be putting more emphasis on family planning services? Has this sort of dropped down the, the agenda? I think to some extent this has dropped down the agenda. I mean, part of that has been driven, for example, in the US very much by um, religious concerns about the US aid being seen to promote contraception and abortion, which I, I think is is frankly absurd for, you know, 
for these kind of essential development interests to be captured by sort of narrow, you know, religious extremism in the US is appalling. Um, I think there are, is a huge range of issues that aid budgets are being called on to tackle. Contraception is one, it's important, so is education, so is our other aspects of healthcare and so on. You know, every interest group is always going to be calling for more aid to go to their particular concern. And by and large, they're right. More aid for their thing would achieve more in relation to their thing. But donors and governments have to balance all the range of objectives. Marikan from our talk point on the Guardian website says improvements in health and education services have shown to reduce the fertility rates in industrialised countries. Is development thus the only clear solution to population growth? Roger. Well, in Bangladesh, they managed to get the fertility rate down and therefore the, the, the income per capita, the GDP per capita up um, with illiterate women. If you empower women, educate them, instruct them, have the right programs and provide the right services at the right, i.e. free price, affordable price, then people, women would choose to have fewer babies and their countries will develop faster. At the moment, all the rest of the year, what makes family planning unique is that until numbers stabilise, they will be running to stand still. Every new increase in GDP will have to have a large percentage of it spent just to provide the new services for the new ever-growing cohort. And it's happening now. Part of what makes this debate on population so fraught is that Europe itself has had massive population growth over the last two centuries. Many Africans say, don't tell us what to do. I spoke to Elia Zulu, Executive Director of the African Institute for Development Policy in Nairobi, and asked if he thought some Western analysts have misunderstood the problem facing Africa. Yeah, I think there's, uh, there's quite a bit of a uh, uh, misunderstanding uh, of, the, uh, of the main issues. There are many analysts there uh, who, you know, who think that uh, the issue about population will take care of itself, that uh, it's not the duty of governments really to launch, you know, large-scale family planning programs to get people to reduce the number of children they are having that what governments should do is to, uh, to, to, to develop their countries, to empower their, their people economically, and that once you do that, uh, people will make their own choices and uh, pay for, for, you know, for the mechanisms to, uh, to have the children that they want. There's also, I mean, increasingly now with the global warming debate, uh, some people in the West are arguing that talking about slowing population growth in the, in the South is an effort to deflect, uh, to deflect their attention from what the West needs to do uh, in order to uh, to reduce the high consumption levels that are principally responsible for rapid population growth. What can be done about it? What are the solutions here? I think that the solutions are, are quite clear. Um, in, in 1994, we have the, uh, the Cairo Conference, the International Conference on Population and Development. And at this conference, uh, it was agreed that governments uh, in the Global South and the international community should mobilize all the resources necessary to educate couples so that they can make informed reproductive decisions and that once they, uh, they decide on the number of children that they would like to have and uh, the timing of those births, they should be provided with the means to help them achieve their desired fertility. But what has happened since the, that Cairo conference is that uh, there are more and more people who want to have fewer children now, who want to delay their births and so on. But they are not able to do that uh, simply because they don't have access to, uh, to family planning. There's a question here about the empowerment of women. Can they make decisions about how to limit their families or are the cultural pressures on them to have as many children as possible still too intense? 
I think that there are, there are certain parts of uh, Africa, like you look at northern Nigeria, uh, where after many years of uh, trying to promote family planning and so on, nothing has really moved um, uh, after 20 years of programming uh, because, you know, because of some of the cultural constraints there. And I think if you look at the, at, at the history of uh, population growth and uh, uh, contraception in Africa, I mean, around the, 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 the end of the 1980s, going into the 1990s, a lot of the Western experts were actually writing scientific papers arguing that, you know, the cultural supports for high fertility in Africa are too strong, that the continent is not going to see, you know, any fertility, noticeable fertility decline in, uh, in the near future. But only about a decade later, we saw what happened in Kenya, in Botswana, and Zimbabwe, the three sub-Saharan African countries that pioneered this change, that fertility started going down. And uh, since then, uh, there are many pockets now, there are many countries where a lot of changes uh, uh, is happening. You look at Kenya, a country that had the highest fertility level in the world in 1978 of 8.4 beds per woman. Now their fertility level has gone down to uh, to, to 4.6. Yeah, you look at Rwanda. Rwanda, a country that had genocide, lost over a million people. One would have said, okay, if Africans really just want to have many children and many people, Rwanda would have been the least likely country to see a big improvement in, in use of contraception. But they actually have increased their contraceptive use from 10% in 2005 to 27% in 2008. Things are changing. I think the continent is changing. The women themselves are changing. The leaders are also changing. And I think the international community needs to understand that and find ways in which they can you know, partner with the continent uh, to make sure that this change is actually supported by presence of commodities uh, when women want them, family planning commodities, I mean. One of the reasons this subject is so difficult is because it's so personal. At the core of it, we're dealing with sex and people's human right to reproduce. The issues in Africa are very evident in India as well. Roger, how do we navigate the human right issue here? Well, to me, it's perfectly straightforward. First of all, women have a right to take control of their own fertility and they have a right not to be subject to coercive pregnancy, which is incredibly common all over the world at the moment. Secondly, though, in the rich countries particularly, there is the question of balancing individual reproductive rights with a sense of social and environmental responsibilities, including to future generations, including their own kids. Claire, is this about the human rights of women to control their infertility? It is, but I think we also have to accept that those human people are going to make choices that we might not always agree with. You know, we heard that clip from the Ugandan woman at the beginning who, you know, claimed that she had be was very happy with her nine children and had chosen them. So we can't necessarily assume in the, ab in the absence of any other kinds of development that simply providing people with contraception will always mean that they choose to have smaller families. If you still have no pensions, lousy health care and a you know, predominantly rural community, it may be that even with contraception, people may still sometimes choose to have larger families. And I think to that, you know, at that point, it becomes a trade-off between, you know, the benefits of having smaller families and the benefits of people having rights to choose their own their own numbers of children and in that situation I would always go with the human rights. Pomegranate 3 from our talk point raised the issue of challenging patriarchy so population control isn't just about giving women choices it's also changing the mindset of men too how, how do you do that? 
I think generally the way that that has happened through history has been through women themselves, you know, to some extent, you know, perhaps this is overstating the case, but battling with men within their own households and publicly um, to be seen as equals, to take more control over decision making. And eventually, you know, as in this country, men have seen that that's in their interest too. And social mores have changed. I'm not sure there's any shortcut to that. I'm not sure that there's any way that, for example, outside donors or NGOs can get in there and challenge patriarchy in, say, African countries. I think it's probably something that has to happen from within. Um, but I think that I think that's an absolutely true point. And I think that's, again, the point why simply saying contraception is the answer to empowering women is a little simplistic. Of because course. actually all these other things have to happen as well. Yes, I agree. But one has to remember that one of the reasons why, in my view, the the, um, priority given to family planning is so low is precisely because this case has been made for the last 17 years since the Cairo conference as exclusively an issue of women's rights. And women's rights take their place in the queue, as Claire said. But had it been made in terms of what I see, the environmental impact and the fact that with 10,000 more people piling onto this planet every day, we can all see the problems of feeding them. For instance, the UN project arranged for 2050, in the next 39 years, of 8.1 to 10.6 million people. Now, that range is much higher than the entire population of the planet when I was born. And obviously, it would be easier to feed 8.1 than (laughs) 10.6. Claire? I think... Personally, I'm quite glad that the UN have not chosen to focus on the environmental impacts as an argument for promoting family planning in developing countries because the environmental impacts are caused by the children in the northern countries who are born to women who do have access to family planning. So I think saying that for environmental reasons we have to provide family planning to those women who consume the very least seems to me to not be an argument that that is in any way logical. The debate could go on and on. Well, that's all for this week's Guardian Focus podcast. For more ongoing coverage of population growth and other development issues, visit guardian.co.uk forward slash global development. My thanks to Claire Melamed, Roger Martin, Ilya Zulu, Ali Sikito and his wife Grace. I'm Madeline Bunting. The researcher was Claire Provost. And I'll leave you with a word from the producer, Vivian Perry. At the moment, The Guardian is conducting research into how you listen to our podcasts and what you think of our audio and the site. If you'd like to participate in a feedback session, all you have to do is email your name and contact details to development at guardian.co.uk. For more great downloads, go to guardian.co.uk forward slash audio.